Yeah, amen. Well, we're going to continue in the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles, go to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 today, uh, continuing in 8. And we've got an interesting story about a guy named Simon today. And Simon was, was an interesting fella. And we're going to see a dynamic that plays out in the text here that I like to call this, he is an example of American evangelicalism. Um, he, is, he is a perfect example of modern day uh, American evangelicalism. Um, but I as a pastor, I as your pastor, have a desire to preach and see the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrate the hearts and the minds and the lives of men and women all through our community. That's, that's my hope. Uh, but that being said, that all, all these things really, I mean, my efforts, me preaching means nothing without the Holy Spirit doing his work. And, and sometimes what can happen in buildings and rooms just like this is we can see men and women who make professions of faith, but those are false professions of faith. And say, well, Caleb, what do you mean by a false conversion or a false profession of faith? I mean, those that come and they make a profession, but there's no genuine faith that's attached with that profession. And we talked about this morning what Sunday, in Sunday school what genuine faith was. And it's the idea of Hebrews chapter 11 of faith is the things that are hoped for and the conviction of things not seen in Hebrews 11.1. 1. But this idea of genuine faith, many people, what will take place is you'll have people make decisions for Christ during major crises. Very different, different types of crises. Uh, they'll all of a sudden come to faith. Uh, whether that's a death of a loved one, a divorce, or a cultural crisis, or any other number of things that can take place in a person's life, um, this is how false conversions can be manifested and appear. Now, I don't want a blanket statement and say all people who are in crisis make false professions of faith because that is untrue. There are people that do walk through seasons of crisis where God does use that crisis to convict, to bring, to draw them into um, a true relationship with Christ. But a lot of the times we see in the church where people go through a major crisis or a major problem or, or a major uh, hope of maybe trying to get something out of God and in the hopes of uh, um, making a, 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 a transactional relationship. And this type of conversion takes place, or this type of decision, I don't want to even call it really a conversion, this type of, of decision um, is not a genuine, there's no genuine desire to repent of sins. Rather, there is a hope that the pressure and the problems of life will be alleviated by taking Jesus. I, I actually heard a preacher say, Jesus is like a do-better pill. And I just struggled with that when I heard that because he's not a do-better pill. He's, a, he's the God of the universe who brings dead people back to life. Um, but oftentimes, the, 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 the motivator for people is to alleviate pain. And, I, you know, at the end of this thing, I want to go to heaven. Like, let's, just, let's just take a poll. Who here wants to go to heaven? Let's just... Who wants to go to hell? Nobody's going to raise their hand and be like, you know me, sign me up. And no one's going to say, sign me up for hell. Now, is, is the fear of hell part of a motivator to come to Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
That's part of a, it's part of the motivator, but it should not be the primary motor motivator to get you to come to Christ. But oftentimes, what you see in individuals is the primary motive or desire is for problems to go away. One of the things I think of most often is 9/11. You guys maybe experienced that here, but in Bartlesville, when 9/11 happened, at this massive nationwide um, crisis that took place. Many churches that following Sunday were filled to capacity with men and women. They were checking in to say, is, it, is this it? Are we at the end? Is Jesus about to come? Do I need to come in and check the box? And I, you know, I need to make sure I'm safe and secure. Am I, am I in Christ? Am I a Christian? I, I don't know. I need to come in because I, I see what's going on. That looks prophetic. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to check the box. And many of those people did not have a genuine heart of repentance towards God about their sin or have a heart transformation, but they were afraid. And what do people do oftentimes when people are afraid? They come to places like this looking for answers. They're looking for security. And they're looking for hope. And the reason... And those, those are all, those are not bad reasons to come to church. Those are great reasons to come to church. But often if that's your primary motive is you're just looking to be safe and you're just looking to check the box to be a part of, you know, I, I want to go to heaven. I want to be, I want to go to heaven. And there's not a genuine desire to come under the Lordship of Christ. Um, that's a problem. And you saw that later. And many of those people who came to Christ, came to church during that 9-11 crisis, came in for a few, maybe a month or two, and there wasn't a genuine desire to really follow Jesus. How can I say that with assurance? Because many of those people left. They didn't come back. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says, tells us this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be clear, it might be clear that they are not of us. So many of these people, many of these people realized that, well, it's not the end of the world. Jesus isn't coming back and I'm going to go back to normal. I don't have to be, I mean, they had a moment of fear. They had a moment of panic. They had a moment of and there's a lot of people that have personal crises. I know people that dozens of people have had marriage crises. I think of people, dear friends of mine that have come through the doors who had never been through the doors before because, man, my marriage has fallen apart. And if I could just get Jesus to be my do-better pill in my marriage, then I'll stick. Then, it, then that'll, that'll work. I mean, it's just like a maintenance thing. I'm going to come in to try to fix this problem. They didn't come in when that times were good. They only came in when times were bad. And many of the people, when they come into these things, they realize that everything's going to be okay. They go back to normal. They stop coming to church. They stop. Uh, they disappear altogether. There, there's not a genuine desire to believe God and repent of their sins. Rather, it's a selfish, selfish motive to try to manipulate the God of the universe. Think about that idea that we as human beings are so thick sometimes that we think we can manipulate the God of the universe. Whew. One of hell's best kept secrets is for people to make a decision for God and not actually submit themselves to the Lordship of Christ. 
there have been this, this, there's been this very interesting phenomenon that's taken place inside of Christendom over the last 70 to 80 years where we've prescribed it to this philosophy that is never really actually outlined in the scriptures. Saying a prayer and asking Jesus into our heart is actually nowhere taught in the scriptures. And I know that that can rub people the wrong way because um, this has been a prescribed ideology that we've been using for decades, but it's not biblical. Asking Jesus into your heart, although I understand the sentiment of that idea, is not a proper construct for actual salvation. And we see in Acts chapter 8 today, um, this idea of Simon the magician. And he follows and believes, believes, and he even gets baptized. But it's not a genuine belief in Christ. It was a belief that had strings attached to it in the hopes of being able to gain notoriety and financial success. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll read the text. We'll start in verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who was previously practicing or who practiced magic in the city and amazed people of Samaria, saying he himself was someone great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man has the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they, and they were baptized, both men and women, even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem had heard about Samaria and received the word uh, that, that the people of Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not yet fallen on them, but they had not, I'm sorry. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands by the apostles, he offered them money saying, Give me this power so that anyone on whom I lay hands, they might receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, Your silver, may your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You neither have part nor lot in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of your wickedness. And of your and uh, the wickedness of yours. And pray that the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart, he might forgive you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and of, and of and bond to, to iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me that the Lord has pray for me to the Lord that nothing that you have said will come to pass upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Wow. Um, so Simon, Simon seems to be a convert in the beginning of this. But if you look at Simon's history, Simon was a showman. Simon had 
He was an entrepreneur. He was a businessman. He had an idea of what he, he amazed and he captivated people's attention with his show. He performed magic. He did things that amazed people. And what was really going on is we really see that Simon is trading one bag of magic trip, chips for another potential bag of magic tricks. And people, he was hoping that he could amaze people and gain more notoriety than he already had. There are over a hundred Bible verses that instruct people to repent and believe the gospel. This is what we're called to do. We're never called to make a decision for Jesus. We're never called to invite Jesus into our heart. Rather, in the Bible, over a hundred different times, we are told to repent and believe the gospel. And there's never a scenario in the text that just says, ask Jesus or accept Jesus. Rather, it's pray a prayer of repentance. Over and over again, the phrase is used, repent of your sins and believe the gospel. On other areas, there's the idea of believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent and believe and you will be saved. The idea in the text is that we take death to ourselves, abandoning the idea of sin in our own lives, in our own hearts, and there's a submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And for some reason, there has been this overwhelming emphasis on the idea that Jesus is a gentleman and would never demand anything from any one of us. Well, the problem with that is the Bible. And there are multiple scenarios and examples where Jesus ferociously comes in and disrupts people's lives and demands certain things of them in order for them to be saved and for his glory and for the mission of the gospel to be proclaimed. The Lord Jesus Christ demands that we abandon our sinfulness and put to death the things that are earthly. Over and over again, we see the text where we, Jesus says, Paul says, Peter says, all the disciples, different men in the Bible say that we must put to death those things that are earthly and we must come alive to these things that are otherworldly, that are Christ-centered. So Simon in the text attempts to purchase Philip and purchase the power that Philip has. He, he sees what Philip's doing because, listen, for years, Simon's been the main thing in Samaria. He's been the main show. He's had this magic trick. He's had this magic show that has amazed people. Look at the text. It says that amazed people, they paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. So from the poorest to the richest in Samaria, they were paying attention. He was famous. People knew him, probably wanted his autograph. If they could have taken pictures, they would have taken pictures with him. But they, he was this famous guy that was, he called himself great. And people said, well, he must have the power of God. Because he can do, look at, look what he, he could David Copperfield this thing. Look at that. You ever watch David Copperfield specials on the, on the TV? And you see him, you know, get out of things that, you know, how in the world did that happen? Watch the magician one time put himself in a, or an illusionist. It was a Christian event, so they were careful not to call themselves magicians. It was an illusionist. And he put himself in a straitjacket and dumped himself in a tank, of, a see-through tank. And he got out. I mean, he was like zipped up, tied up, over his head, everything. And we're like, <gasps> there, you know, there's 10,000 people in the room watching it, and the room is silent. And he's underwater, and you see him. And he, within just the right time, you think, oh, uh-oh, it's over. And all of a sudden, at just the right time, he busts out and comes out of the out of the tank of water. And everybody's like, "Woo!" We were amazed. It was an illusion. 
It was a trick. Like most magicians, they're not doing magic. It's a trick. It's an illusion that they slide of hand. Simon was sliding the hand and follow the cup, follow the cup. Where's the ball under the cup? Up, 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 up. Oh, not there. Up, 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 up. Oh, it's in your ear. How'd that happen? Whoa, blows my mind, right? I remember this old fella that used to go to our church. His name was George. George loved doing magic tricks. He was the craziest, craziest guy. And he always had a joke and a, and, a, and a magic trick. And he always would pull quarters out of my brother's ear. And my brother would just be like, how are you doing that? And like, just with, like, his little brain was just like fried. Well, he had it in his hand the whole time. But he just knew how to quickly move his hands around. And he reach up and... Oh, sorry. I apologize, Tyler. I ruined the whole trick for him. But he had, he had, a, he had, a, he had a, this position in his hand just right, and he was very, his fingers were fast. And he'd always reach up and be like, whoop, pow, pull out a quarter. Simon's doing the same thing here. He's got all this stuff, and everybody's paying attention to him. But then the gospel comes in, and people start to say, wait a minute. I don't, like, they're trying... People are following Philip. People are trusting the gospel. People are looking for the kingdom of God. They're not interested in my show. Well, here's what I... And, and he goes, well, you know what I need to do? As a smart businessman, you know what he did? I need to go and I need to adjust my show. I need to adjust my show. I've got to... What do I need to do? Okay, I'm going to get... You know, who wants to believe in Jesus? Come here. They had a meeting. Oh, me, I'll do it. Who wants to get baptized? Yeah, I'll get baptized. Dunk him in the water. All right. We got another one. He, the Bible says that he believed and was baptized. And then you start to see his real intentions coming up in verse 13. Um, he's interested not in submitting himself to the Lordship of Christ, but he's trying to gain earthly success. We see here Simon gets baptized, not because he's genuinely following Christ and repenting, but he's He's making a show. He's doing what some people do in church when they get baptized. They're like, well, they're getting baptized, so I guess I probably ought to as well. Because uh, that's, that's what's you know. Look, look, man, they're they're getting excited. I got to baptize. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that too. And so he's attempting to fool people around him into thinking he's a genuine follower of God because, well, all these masses of people are trusting and following God. Well, I'm gonna be a man of God because they'll follow me too. And we find out later in the text that he's not a follower of Christ. We see this happen all the time in religious circles in America. Christ's name being used in order to propel an agenda or a political party or some type of get-rich-quick scheme. But the fact of the matter is that these schemes, and this is what they are, will never work. God is not a puppet that we can use, that can be used by men to achieve and accomplish their dreams and goals. Although we are attempting to. We are attempting to do that. I've been to motivational seminars where people like Zig Ziglar and all these big time speakers, Colin Powell, all these big motivational speakers. And at the end of their speech, it was always like, hey, you gotta, Jesus is going to help you get through. Jesus, is the, this Jesus helped me and look at my business now. Okay. There was never a call to repent. There was never a call to trust the gospel. It was, Jesus can help you with your business. I knew a guy in Bartlesville. He said, I, I love your dad's preaching. And I lo I'd love to come sit under your dad's preaching. But man, that church is too small. And where I'm at, man, it's really good for my business. Where I'm going to church. The guy's not as good as a preacher as your dad. But going there is good for my business. We're trading one thing 
for another thing, thinking that that's going to be helpful. Um, and so we see this all the time. God is not a puppet that can be manipulated by men to accomplish our dreams and goals. You see, Simon was seeing the signs that Philip was doing and he wanted in on the action. He wasn't trying to repent of his sins and follow Christ because Christ deserved to be followed. He was wanting to follow Jesus because he wanted the power of Jesus and he wanted little slices of the pie. This will never work for anyone's life. If you do not submit to Christ, all you're going to do is store up wrath for yourself. And the same thing goes for people who are in crisis who use Jesus during crisis as a do better pill or fix me and make my relationship make things go better all you're doing is you're, you're not fixing the crisis um, you're actually following into acts of futility that's all, that's all it is let's look at verse 14 through 17 now when the apostles at Jerusalem had heard of Samaria and received word that, that they had followed God, they sent Peter and John, who had, came, had come down and prayed for them, and that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to stop for a second, because some denominations do not teach that you get the Holy Spirit at the moment of your salvation. And they use this text to say that. They say, well, Holy Spirit comes later, you got to be filled with Him, you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And so... This verse is not support the false notion that Christians receive the Holy Spirit subsequently after their salvation. This is a trend. All this text is talking about is a transitional period in which there's a confirmation by the apostles that it was necessary to verify the inclusion of this group of people into the church. Because there was this animosity that existed between Jews and Samaritans. And it was essential for these individuals to be tested to make sure that they were genuine followers of Christ. Case in point, Simon. Simon was not genuine. So why, why is that important? In 2 Corinthians verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 5, Paul says, Examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So we're called by God to examine the fruit. As Dr. Piper said last night, examine the fruit of people's lives. Examine your own fruit in your own life. This is what we're called to do is to examine, to make sure. And this is what Peter and John were doing. Peter and John came to Samaria just to test, to make sure, to examine, make sure these people weren't false converts. Because, man, in this day, if you were a false convert trying to infiltrate the church, you might be coming in there trying to kill people. So they gotta, they got to make sure that everyone's genuinely saved. And sadly, I believe this is where... A lot of people in a lot of churches sit today. We want fire insurance. We come to Jesus for fire insurance. It, it, this is an act of futility because God weighs and knows the intentions of our hearts. And in the bulk of the time, you, you can determine people's motivations by their loyalty to the things of God. If people are following Christ because they want fire insurance, they'll only show up when crisis occurs. They'll only show up when crisis occurs because, oh, I got to check my fire insurance policy. Just like we would do. And if we, you, you, man, 
how we are we how's our state farm insurance how's my farmer's insurance uh, for fire I need to go by and check that make sure do I have earthquake insurance do I have car insurance what do I need because I in times of crisis nobody looks around and says you know what I hope my insurance is mediocre when we have crisis we think man I hope my insurance is good so that's what people do is they don't think about or check in and follow Jesus because he deserves to be followed. They check it when there's crisis in their life. Like, oh, crud, my marriage is falling apart. I've got to get to church. Oh, my kids are being aliens. I've got to get to church. I've got to do this. I've got to get to church. Oh, my business is falling apart. I've got to get to church. And we use Jesus like a fire insurance policy. What an act of futility. If people follow Christ because they want fire insurance, they only show up in crisis or when they need God. They're, they use Jesus like a cosmic genie. I'm going to rub the Bible just right. I don't see any smoke coming. Where is he at? Where are you at, Lord? I can't hear from you. Where are you? But when life's smooth and easy, they're nowhere to be found. They view God. The view they have of God has as a, as a life raft to get them out of the stormy waters of life. They do not view God as the omniscient, sovereign king that he is, and he deserves to be worshipped because of that fact. No, rather they are attempting to use God as that cosmic genie to grant their every wish. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Remember that from Aladdin? How many of you ever watched Aladdin? Okay. Phenomenal cosmic powers. Living space. Right? That's what we think. It's just, it's never going to work. Jesus isn't a life raft for stormy seas. He's the sovereign king that deserves our bowed knees and worship. And so we see the evidence in verse 18 and 19 about what Simon actually is doing. Look at the text. Well, we'll start, we'll start in yeah, verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, so they're having a church service, and Peter and, and John laid hands on these people and said, we, we, we believe, we're, we're confirming you, and believe in you, and, follow, and we're, we're excited to call you into the flock. And everybody's excited, because everybody gets excited in those kind of services. Everybody's amped up. Simon sees this, and he walks up, and I don't know why I think this, but in my head, I, he's a businessman. I think he's from the East Coast. And I've got this mindset that Simon walks up to Peter, and he's like, hey, listen, hey, Pete, Pete, come here real quick. I don't know why I got this in my head. I just think he's got this, this East Coast accent. And I just think, he, hey, hey, really quick, come here, Pete. Uh, if I give you some money, how many zeros do I need to write on this check? How many zeros? If I give you money, can you give me this power? Can you give me this power? So also that anyone who, whom I lay hands on, they might receive the Holy Spirit. What do you think? Bada bing, bada boom. What do you think? You think so? Come on in. What do you think? And Peter doesn't mess around. I just, it, it is just, you see that his true intentions come out. He's like, listen, from one businessman to another. Because he thinks Peter's doing a show just like he's doing a show. From one businessman to another businessman, how much money is it going to cost me? 
How much money is it going to cost me? This exact same message is being pushed out in religious denominations in America today. If you give enough money, you can gain God's favor. If you sow that seed just right, then you're going to be able to pay your bills. All you got to do is send that seed to the TV number here. If I give enough, God will be happy with me. And Simon asks this. That's exactly what Simon's asking for. Can I give enough money so I can get the power of God? So that I can be a God myself? Peter doesn't mess around in verse, the next verse here. Read the text. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. The idea in the language is very strong. ESV doesn't push it hard enough. The original, may your money burn with you in hell. That's how strong Peter says this. May your money, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You neither have part nor lot in this matter. You have nothing in this. You are not a Christian. You are not a follower of Christ. You have no part of this. I don't care if you're in the water or not. I don't care if you said a prayer. I don't care if you got dunked. You have no part or lot in this whatsoever. What do you need to do? You need to repent, therefore, of your wickedness. And then pray that the Lord, if even possible, will forgive you. And you better, you better pray that God can. I don't even know. Like Peter's going, I don't even know if God's going to forgive you on this one. You better pray. You better repent. And rather than Simon going, you know what, Peter? And you're right. Rather than being crushed under the weight of his sin and his disgusting and his wretchedness and going, oh my gosh, what did I, what have I done? I attempted to buy God's favor with perishable silver instead of going, golly, I can't believe this. The businessman pops back up. Hey, verse 24, Simon answers and says, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Peter goes directly after him and tells him he needs to repent and repent of his wickedness. This same message applies to you and I, that we need to repent of our wickedness and ask God to forgive us. This is the idea is to follow and repent Jesus, repent and follow after Jesus. Revelation chapter 2, that idea of falling in love with Jesus. John said in, in Revelation chapter 2, I have this, actually Jesus said it, I have this against you, you have, what? You've abandoned the love you had at first. Repent and believe. But this is not what happens to Simon. Simon answers, pray for me that the Lord, to the, pray to the Lord for me, that nothing that you have said may come upon me. Listen, I cannot repent for you. And you subsequently cannot repent for me. I, I cannot do that for you and you can't do it for me. Just like this, Peter tells, listen, you need to repent. He goes, well, can you do it for me? How much money I got to pay you? You can do it for me. Absolutely not. You cannot do this. Simon was not willing to submit himself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
He was wanting to try to purchase fire, a fire insurance policy that covered his life completely. And this is exactly what the majority of people in church in 2021 do, is they want a fire insurance policy that says I'm good at the end of life, but I don't have to give anything up and I don't have to submit to anything that Christ calls me to submit to. And Peter goes a little bit further in the next part of the text. Peter says, you are vile and you've got some gall. You've got some gall. Peter answered him says, or he says, for I see that you are in the gall. You are filthy. You have got some gall in you to say that. You are entrenched in bitterness and in bond to iniquity. You are a slave to iniquity. You are vile and you've got gall. A nasty liver disease is what this was. So you say, Caleb, what do I do to... What, what's the hope in all this, Caleb? You, I mean, this just sounds bleak. Simon's going to hell, it sounds like. Yeah. What's the hope in this message? The hope is that you repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You repent and ask Jesus to forgive you. And it's a genuine, God, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I don't want to just have a fire insurance policy. I, I want to... Follow and repent and believe you and, and ask you to forgive me and submit my life to you. Is there a sin in your life today that's in, unrepented of? If there is, listen, you need to ask God to forgive you. You need to pray and repent and ask God to forgive you. You and I both need to do that. That's the hope of the message. The hope of the gospel is that we repent and believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus knows where you are. Nothing about you and who you are is surprising to him. There's nothing that shocks him. Like, listen, he knows the deepest, darkest secrets in your life. Then why in the world are you trying to hide them from him? He knows. Before the foundation of the world, he knew everything about you. And he still is giving you an opportunity to seek forgiveness today. Like, you, listen, you sitting in this room this morning is not an accident. So why not take a few moments and ask Jesus to forgive you, to cleanse you from your own unrighteousness and to submit to his lordship and then follow him. See, you just say something like this, God, I'm, I'm sinful and I don't want to hide from you anymore just like Adam, Joel, Joel Beakey Joel from uh, Reformed Systematic Theology says it best. The first Adam tried to hide himself from the penalty of his own sin. The last Adam, Christ, voluntarily exposed himself to the penalty of our sin. Adam tried to hide from his sin and make excuses for his sin. Christ was exposing himself to the penalty of our sin. Like, the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost and to redeem you from your sinfulness. Why in the world would you not want to run towards him in the, in the idea of repentance and asking him to forgive and to remove the penalty of your sins? Like, I don't understand Simon. I don't understand it. But maybe, like, maybe even part of me, like, in my struggle that I walk in sometimes, maybe... But man, I'm faced with the idea that God can forgive me. 
God, like, that God can achieve what he's going to achieve and he will get the ones he needs to get and he's going to receive the glory under himself. Like, why in the world would I want, not want to be a part of that? Asking him to forgive and to remove the penalty of our wickedness, like to remove that from us, man, that would be incredible. We need that so badly. And so as we, as we, as we begin this time of reflecting on the Lord's Supper, I want us as believers just to reflect on our own, our own past and where there's sin in our life, just take a moment to ask God to forgive you. I'm going to have Marjorie come down and, and play just whatever she wants to play during this time. But I, we're going to have, I just want us to take a few moments to pray. And then I'm going to have uh, Chancey and Tyler come out. We're going to, we're going to disperse this, the elements uh, into the group here. Um, but I just want us to take a few minutes to just pray. Just be silent and ask God to forgive you where you, you know where you've got sin in your life. Like I said, like I, said I can't repent for you. And subsequently, you can't repent from me. So I'm going to take time that I know, I know where I've got sin in my heart. I know where I've been bitter. I know where I've lied. I know where I've, I've been um, arrogant. And I'm going to ask God to forgive me. And that's what my hope is for us as a congregation, that we'd all take a few minutes just to ask God to forgive us. And as we take these elements, that we remember who Jesus is.